Hi Chitra. Hi Shiv. Yeah, you seem quite thrilled today. What's happening? Yeah, I just realized that there is a day every day to celebrate special events. They talk about curious events day. Uh-huh. There is a moments of frustration day. Uh-huh. There is a looking for circles day. Wow. And so many other days, it's almost like you can create or make an event out of anything. And right. dedicate a day to it. Yeah. Did you know that podcasters have a day? Why not? Hi. I mean, amidst all these days with podcasting yeah. you know, being such a pervasive medium now, why not celebrate podcasters? Yeah. There is an international podcasting day. And in Bangalore, we are going to be celebrating this on the 28th. I'm excited yeah. about it. I'm yeah. so excited about it. Yeah. And I'm excited because we might get to meet our listeners. That would be fabulous. Yeah. So if you are in Bangalore, do join us on the International Podcast Day celebrations. The venue is to be decided. You can uh, check our show notes for the URL to sign up. It's uh, being hosted by Hubhopper. So podcast.hubhopper.com. Check for the International Podcasting Day. See you there on the 28th. Hey, listeners of the Software People Stories, looking forward to meeting and seeing you all on the 28th of September. Do join us to celebrate International Podcasting Day. Thank you for listening to this message. And now, on to our regular episode. Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We're happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers, or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Welcome to this episode. My guest today is Neelu P.K. Neelakandran, who is not a stranger to the PM Power audience as he has been a guest blogger as well. He talks about two significant phases of his career and also the transition from being a consultant or an external person giving recommendations to somebody who is actually implementing it within the organization. He also talks about um, how it was losing a job at the time of the dot-com bust and in his own humorous way talking about an environment where the programmers that he worked with were younger than the programs that they were working on and get into some of the leadership aspects of uh, managing knowledge workers as well as what you can tell demanding users and how some of the challenges in his business development role in terms of conveying the value of what a software platform or a product can deliver and literally when he was forced to jump into data lakes and then how he's been adopting that for the benefit of his current organization and some more on uh, handling things which are beyond one's control and also a managerial style of doing together and inspiring and not being able to please everyone all the time. And with all that, how do you still earn the team's trust by adding value in all the interactions? Overall, very interesting. It is always fun to talk to Neelu. Listen on. Hi, Neelu. Welcome to the Software People Stories podcast. It's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, I've 
enjoyed all your you know, blogs, including the one that is waiting when you're on hold. This conversation did take a while, so I didn't mind that wait time. So now that uh, we are here, uh, we normally start with the guest introducing oneself. Of course, many of our uh, audience would know you as you've been a guest blogger on the PM Power site as well. So we'll start with your introduction and then take it from there. Thank you, Shiv. And you know, it's always a pleasure, of course, talking to you also. And you know, you know, we go way back, and it's uh, you know, it's a great uh, opportunity to look back and just reflect. I'm also very happy to be on this program as a guest. So it's it's definitely you know something that I was looking forward to after listening to what you told me last week. And yeah, it's it's a if we want to start off with some kind of introduction about what I've done. It's been about four decades of experience in this field, with some notable brief departures from it too. But for the most part, I've stuck to software development in one capacity or the other. When I look back, there is almost an even division between working for a software company or a consulting company and going into client organizations and helping them. And the second part being uh, working for a company as part of the IT. And it's like suddenly the shoe's on the other foot. And how does that get you kind of situation? So it has uh, been an interesting transition. I think about uh, 18 years ago, I started working for the local community college district, which is a pretty large organization. It's a public sector institution entirely funded by the state so with its own dynamic. And in terms of uh, what I have done, I started off obviously as you know, a development uh, a software engineer writing programs, but with Tata Burroughs, I was able to grow pretty quickly and assume some leadership positions. And eventually, I left Tata Burroughs to join a startup in Bangalore where I was for a couple of years, and then I switched and joined Tata uh, IBM when IBM came back in 94. And that was a completely different kind of responsibility because what I was doing till then had been mainly, or I should say with the startup also, I was doing some of that. Because with the startup, um, I had responsibility as business development manager, although we being, a, you know how a startup is always pretty lean. So you end up getting involved in all aspects. Once you go into a place, make a proposal, and if you win the job, you know, then you start working on that, and you have to lead that too. So it was a loose term when they said business development manager. It's more, it ended up being at least in the two years I was there, uh, so quite a bit of uh, development also. But what I was doing for Tata IBM was um, industry marketing. So it was a quite a departure. It was exciting because it's the time India at 94, things were just happening at that time, I think. And you, you had a sense of, you know, a lot of greenfield opportunities where you could walk in and we were trying to sell packages there and it was in pre-sale. And so it was a different kind of experience, but that was only about a little over two years, I think. And then uh, as fate would have it, I guess, I had this offer to come and work for a company in the US and my wife and I debated for a few 
almost two, three months before we decided that, okay, you know, we'll take it up. And then I moved. And this was kind of a, uh, you know, move for good, so to speak. Remember at that time, we always, you know, maybe four or five years will come back, but we knew at that time too that it would be difficult, especially, with, you know, uprooting kids. And you're doing it once and don't want to do it again. So we ended up, and we ended up in, you know, for three years we were in Michigan and then moved to San Diego. So with the company that I joined in 94 in the U.S., I was with them for about seven years. And we did some things that were probably, um, I'm going to say pioneering. It's not like we were the first to do it. But I know for, with Tata Bros, we did a few offshore projects, fixed price. But in in this particular company that we walked into, for instance, an organization like Ford Motor, we had never done anything like that. And we made a pitch for it. And we delivered a few projects very successfully. So at least that was path-breaking in terms of establishing the credentials of credibility of doing that with Ford Motor Company. And, you know, our projects won uh, awards even for two. So it was very satisfying. But then after that, I came to San Diego and worked on this project. It was a time when I think a lot of players entered and the year 2000 changes were happening. So it was a mad rush to grab business. And slowly, with all the competition, prices started going like, you know, it was a uh, race to, I wouldn't say bottom, but definitely what our company was commanding at one time, it couldn't sustain as we got a lot of the big players, especially, you know, uh, Infosys, DCS, and everybody else with Pro. So it was a, uh, it was quite a bit of flux at the, around that time. And then in 2001, I decided that I was going to do something else, maybe on my own. And a friend of mine and I were trying to, get, you know, we had somebody who was, who had potentially had a project for us. And so at that point, my company wanted me to move to Phoenix and with children where they were in high school and all that, I decided that it was better not to move and I was going to do something on my own. But fortunately, that the deal that we were hoping for fell through. In the meantime, my company said, well, if you don't want to move, we'll just shake hands. So I found myself um, out of a job. For, uh, and that was the time when we had the um, dot-com bust. So it was a pretty tough situation. It took a few months and I had to actually settle for a um, a developer position and then climb my way back up. So if you took a, you know three, four years when I was back as the application development manager, which is what I've been doing last several years, more than 10, 12 years now. And in 2010, the community college district with the state budgets were going through a really bad time. And of course, our budgets were very constrained. They decided that rather than having a company as an outsourcer, a contractor doing everything. We had um, 60 odd people doing everything for their IT, from desktops all the way to the mainframe. And it was a peculiar contract. I'll talk about it a little bit in terms of why, you know, certain things stand out in my you know, the, in the experience here. So they decided that they would save money by bringing us all in as employees, and once again getting back into in-house IT, and they did the transition pretty successfully. So I became a public sector employee at the point. And I've been with them for the last um, nine, nine and a half years now. So in terms of what it meant working for, you know, working for a 
consulting organization, you walk in with a set of, you know, there is a certain protocol. So you have a, you know, expectation that you have a contract, for instance, and there are numbers and there are um, various classes. And of course, there is change control. And so things are pretty important. It's important to have, you know, sign-offs on various things, phase reviews and anything that happens beyond that scope changes. And it's a pretty tightly controlled environment. So where as a project manager, I was playing a crucial role in making sure that my company's interests were protected, but at the same time, you were delivering value to the customer. So it was really speaking, I would say, you know, your first order of business is really make sure that project is on an even key and it succeeds and it delivers satisfaction, but not while you incur all kinds of scope creep without change control or additional money being uh, put up. So, but this process so builds certain expectations when you're working in this. And some of the companies that we worked for at that time also had very well-defined, structured, you know, large organizations which had phase reviews and standards and ways of doing things. So either you walk in with your standards or even if you do, the company has their own, you adapt to that and you follow that. That's how you work. I'm sure you're familiar with that model. But when I joined, I also, you know, seen companies, we also all seen some clients who are very loose on these kind of things. And, and you know, if you really wanted to evaluate their departments or whatever in terms of their capabilities or the CMMs, whatever, different models, Sigma, all that stuff, you would probably find them very wanting. And then where you walk in, it's difficult even to get some of these process rigorous methodologies accepted there. But we've all seen that. But the job, when you join this as a you know, part of the client organization, part of the IT department, and I found that this district is, like I say, it's funded by the state and there's, they're very cost conscious. And the idea, even when you're outside, is that this is, IT is like a, an amorphous thing there. So they just say, you know, you get this done and you get it done. There's no question of saying, okay, you know, it's going to cost so much. There was no point in raising that. There's no change control except to say, okay, you know, in terms of schedules, why you might not be able to complete something because there's more work. But it was just assumed that you would get it done. And if you wanted to add additional programmers, that was impossible unless you go in through a process of proposing some additional, say, one more programmer required needs to go to the board for approval and all that stuff, new position, essentially. Even if it was a contracting position, it couldn't just be, you know, you couldn't just add on unless you were willing to eat the cost. So it was that totally different kind of environment. And so it was a, it took a while to adjust because you, and what are the standards? I mean, what sand? Nobody really had anything like that. At one time, I used to joke that some of the programmers were younger than the programs they were working on. So <laughs> these are programs from the 80s or even earlier, maybe. But the thing is that one of the things that really hit me then is that, you know, we software professionals in general owe allegiance to technology first and foremost. And I've seen this throughout my career when I've managed software professionals who are essentially knowledge workers. And it's a very different thing from managing other kinds of people, in my opinion. But there, a lot of times, they're very keen on the technology and, you know, things like they want to move on, learn new things. Here we are, you know, we got a mainframe, Cobalt DB2, which they had just switched to DB2 when I mean, they did the year 2000 remediation, apparently, and CICS and whatnot, running the uh, administration system. But we we had the challenge now to move everything, not move everything, say, I would say, but make everything available on the web for the students and faculty. So there was all kinds of tools probably available. You can switch to newer technologies. 
But it was not about what you do in the back end, but how it really is delivered to the user. And the users don't have a clue that you've got this mainframe in the background running things for them. So it was all some screen scraper and CICS transactions still, but on the front end, you're looking at a web page and clicking and going through, you know, drop down lists and everything else. So technology, for technology's sake, so to speak, was uh, just never available there. And, and there was uh, moments where, you know, okay, you start wondering how your professional advancement might be, a, you know, might take a back seat in fact. But there were opportunities when something comes up and they would say, okay, you know, we want to implement this data march. And, uh, and so here's a SQL box. If they installed SQL Server on this Windows box and go and uh, create a data mark for the research department. That was the brief given to me. So you get those kind of things too. Then you start learning on your own mostly, whatever you need to, because SQL is SQL, but still there are other aspects of it. So it's it's a different environment. I think I'm giving you the flavor of how different it was, I hope. And so we've also gone through another transition the last four or five years now, been trying to implement, well, we've just, I would say, completed uh, we're completely on this new system, live on the new system. People saw from, moved over from the mainframe and over the last week, and in fact, we just brought down the web portion of the student interface, which is still running for the you know older terms. We just now in the fall of 2019, everything is now for the students and faculty on the PeopleSoft system. So it was kind of a watershed moment. We retired that old behemoth and whatever you might, you know, probably a clunker, but it it did deliver. It was pretty robust. And today was opening day for the fall term, and there was a lot of problems with the new system. But of course, those are TV problems. And, but it's a big transition for the users who've been used to, I mean, especially in the back room, they were used to looking at green screens. Now they have a different, only different interface. So that's kind of a, you know, I mean, there have been highs and lows in this, obviously. And, you know, I feel, uh, you know, there's also the ups and downs in the career, obviously, and uh, personal priorities taking higher precedence over the professional at times. And it's all in all, it's most of the fag end of my career. I think it's been satisfying. Uh, working for a nonprofit is somewhere you get a sense of, you know, contributing to the community at large. But this really serves a lot of students. And California Community College is almost, I mean, they charge a uh, pittance. It's $46 a unit. It's unheard of anywhere else in the country, I think. Although there are probably students, a lot of students don't even pay that because they get waivers because of the economic situation. So it does provide, it's it, it, in that sense, in fulfilling in some sense. Even if on the technology side, you might not see that way. So overall, you know, it's probably also that as you mature, you see things in a different perspective. So that's in a you know brief uh, sketch of my career. I don't know if anything, would you have uh, any observations on that, comments, questions? Yeah, sure, Nilu. I think that uh, covers a lot of dimensions. And, uh, I am curious about two of those in particular. You know, one, we've not had an opportunity to talk about it in this uh, podcast so far, which is on the business development side. And that theme seems to have been there with you throughout in terms of uh, understanding the value and whether you were a consultant or you were part of the organization. And I like the phrase that you use that IT is amorphous. In that kind of situation, how were you able to convince someone to invest in software development, whether it is a package or custom development? And have there been any um, you know, stories 
that would help our listeners in understanding how one can articulate the value of software yeah okay so that actually i have to go back to the experience in india which is i think uh, it does stand out in my mind at least there were several clients that we were pursuing when i was at tata ibm and one of them actually two places where we made actually made sales of software packages and that was unheard of then there was one in the startup that i worked we worked with colorchem we made a proposal and first of all we said what well, you know we will do a, an 8 week 10 week study requirements study and then we'll come back with a proposal and i can't remember now whether we charged them for the study or not but when we gave a proposal it was in 90 91 something about and maybe late 90 or 91 when i joined that place in 90 so sometime in 1990 i think late we gave a proposal for just software development and there was a proposal you know what kind of hardware would be required and all that it's just 34 lakhs and when we did that i think at that time this was kind of a unheard of thing unheard of amount it was a comprehensive software development proposal and color came as a subsidiary it was at least a part of x uh, ag from germany and they were being i think there was some suggestion that they should look at sap but this proposal i mean i remember talking to some one of the uh, associates but they were associated with my boss essentially the friends but he was a used to be a professor at iim i think but he had sold his own software company he said come on nilo this is unheard of 34 lakhs congratulations very win the contract or not you set yeah. some kind wow. of precedent right so where we actually got the contract and the reason for getting the kind of the proposal that we made was very heavy on the business benefits that they would get and we quantified certain things looking at their balance sheet and then say hey you know you have this kind of inventory percentage if you just shave off and there's like very realist numbers we put together and the whole thing adds up to this and you know 34 lakhs plus the hardware and all that just it's just nothing compared to all the savings potentially you can get but in doing that also you know the very uh, funny moments i would say also in that when we talk to the actual users and trying to convince them one example i'll give you and then uh, i'll move on to the other uh, kinds of uh, experiences for the purchasing department we had okay these are the specifications for the purchasing module that the manager you need to review and sign off on this so again you know we're in that uh, contract so all that stuff but he took that into my you know it's like next day i met him say have you read this no i mean everything is there no you're going to is it i don't know that i can tell him everything is there not my place say everything is there <laughs> well i realized that whether i say yes or not he's assuming that it's going to be there but one of the things he asked me then are you recommending that we have more typists and this was like why why were you asking that the biggest thing that they were facing and this is you know mind blowing to me that they had because the stenographers were union staff and they would type up so many purchase orders that's it if you wanted more they had to pay overtime and so on and so forth and so the purchase orders were always in backlog and without a purchase order being sent to the vendor you're not going to get the material to the uh, stores and the shop for the manufacturing and you cannot afford to have manufacturing starved of material so mm-hmm. the buyer would call the vendor and then say you send it we'll send the purchase order don't worry and the material will show up so now this is uh, you know where the shoe pinches well i don't know what telling you know we were actually proposing something like you know when you log into this till then they were looking at reports the buyer would take this this okay now i have these vendors and he'll go through some analysis this is the inventory report this is the stock position this thing our point and all that he will assemble all the details and give it to the stenographer who type up the order now we are saying look you know your system is modern enough now 
it's monitoring this uh, stock on hand it's going to be able to pull up right? when you log in it'll say it'll say oh, hello so on so whatever you can greet but it'll tell you action items you know you need to order what you need to order today and then if you say okay click on that not click those things i mean i don't know we had that level of sophistication but it did have some you know we were trying to do the whims in you know, the windows icons mouse whatever. Uh, then it'll enable you essentially to say okay you pick the vendor you pick the order quantity or whatever and then it'll put it all together and print the quick start so there's no real need for a standard effort so i don't want to tell them that actually we're going to recommend you need to get rid of them <laughs> so that was quite an eye opener the way people think about the problems are we don't even realize that you know when we walk into this kind of situation and this was again brought to to me in short focus another time when by this is a different company i think it was probably maruti yoga something and i probably asked them you know i think it was a purchasing system or something else but or maybe it was a stores kind of it's overall system which is what similar to control and so what is your biggest problem and i asked them they said it's pill fridge how does oh. the system tackle pill fridge it's kind of took the wind out of my sails So, again, you know, this is kind of thing that we don't expect. But all in all, you know, this kind of tells you when you walk in, we are convinced why they should be looking at a solution, package solution. And so, again, in the next job, like Tata IBM, I walked into this place, I don't know, it was Ronnie Powell Steering, one of those uh, autos, ancillary manufacturers. They were about to place an order with the competitor for a Unix box with Oracle, a 16-user license, and then they were going to build a software. Here we are talking to them about you know don't go that route. You're not in the software business. Your core competencies are elsewhere. Here we are proposing a system with proper solution attached to it. So you know yeah, there's a box and just software, database software and everything. But we were proposing I think Bond software at that time. We signed up Bond as a reseller. Okay. So it took some convincing. I had to do all kinds of you know that at least. but my background in manufacturing software uh, helped me a great deal in convincing him and finally you know we spent several hours and we were getting late for the train he signed the order and then we rushed to the station to catch the train <laughs> but that was a very uh, i think a seminal moment in indian software industry i would say selling a package that is not you know giving it away for free and we had to get the vice president of bond from dutch and uh, netherlands to send a fax saying that we're excited to have you as the first customer etc the second one also very interesting this was in metropolitan one of the export oriented textile companies where we managed to sell an as 400 bpx now to me i mean that place there is a modulali i mean you know what i mean there is a ceo he is the mm, owner yeah. everybody else he has 100% of the power the rest is shared equally with the rest <laughs> Okay. That place you walk in, you got it. Hey, I said I think that was credit goes also to the sales guy who managed to get you on that kind of thing. But we were able to you know do you know that kind of thing. And I've talked to some others who was there and I left of course. But where I walked in another place, I don't remember it was Thermax or one of those places. So okay, you know, he said, well, I'll give you 15 minutes and he tried to convince me why. I said, you know, we would like to come and do a study and then propose something. I give you 15 minutes. You convince me. why we should uh, engage you but then we ended up talking for 45 minutes and he was convinced that there was value in it what i'm saying is that the requirements are not apparent to the users they are looking at it from their limited uh, experience of what they have done and where the shoe pinches especially and they may or may not realize what you can do so those are and you know also there is a focus on hardware that how people used to sell it you know what kind of myths what kind of this yeah, all that is not 
Yeah, they are useful and they're important, but that's not the real solution. That's not where the real solution lies. So that's always been a guiding principle. And, you know, in, in this, when we talk to the users and I tell my developers, and anybody who complains that the users are demanding this or that, I say, that's what we do. We deliver, you know, make sure that they are happy with it, ultimately. And I really caught some people saying, you know, one of the users was saying, is this too difficult to do? And I said, why do you worry about it? We'll try to figure it out. If not, we'll come back and say why it can be done, cannot be done, or it will take too long. But you should state what you require first and by not be worrying about that. So if they're worried about things like that or technology or something else, I don't know. We don't deliver value ultimately. We end up doing something um, which I think they want to hear, for instance, sometimes. But you'll have to push back also, saying, oh, that's a bad idea, like we did with the, with the auto insulin manufacturer. And in fact, it came to a point where you say, well, what for all this, I decided to go with your competition. I told him, look, we would be very sorry to hear that, but we'll not accept it. And he respected mm-hmm. that again, you know. But I'm not going to just give you some BS and say, okay, well, so that's very important, at least to me, to, to have that kind of integrity. And then that, when you are part of this organization for 18 years, one unfortunate thing that happened when PeopleSoft was being implemented is that they got third-party implementer in place, but they were almost keeping the IT department out. And it was well, something that I complained about, but, you know, it was various reasons, I suppose, but it was not a good idea. And so we're paying the price for it. But I had earned the respect of people to say, okay, you know, if I said that, you know, this is not a good idea, they're willing to listen now. If something needs to be done, they'll consult me. But that somehow got out of, that vitiated in this whole three years or so of this. I mean, they had a bit of experience with the vendor. So we're not a great place now, but we're trying to pull it together. But that's again, you know, it's when you are able to show that you really are committed to this and committed to delivering something that works for them. Then you get the response and a reciprocation also. Yeah, I think that's a very, very powerful. What is the integrity, understanding them and actual value from their perspective? Yeah, yeah. very good. And the second uh, thing that struck me was you, you didn't mention these words, but then I just tried to rephrase it as um, another career roller coaster in terms of roles. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of us go through ups and downs in uh, at work, at career, different uh, phases, etc. How do you stay balanced personally when you go through these ups and downs? So I think you know it's a, it's it depends on your personality. My I think I have always had a certain almost detached approach, I'd say, to things in general. I don't insist you know that I get my way even when I'm managing a team sometimes i feel like especially you know developers and my hands are like itching i can i know how i can actually do it and probably faster but i want them to gravitate i want to give them the freedom to work it out so in general if things go south i have like maybe it's also probably a, uh, my upbringing and having seen you know my father go through things and how he took things i probably watched and learned from that too that i learned that it's no point in fretting about it you have to have but the situation can go wrong. First thing is you have to accept it first. Yes, this is what it is. And then you can start thinking about how am I going to recover from it? How am I going to move on? But that's 
the hard part. Initially, if you get overwhelmed emotionally, I mean, it takes a while. Sometimes it takes longer. But if you don't have the ability to quickly gain perspective, regain perspective, and then say, okay, you know, and then move further, look out, okay, you know, this is not... This is not meant to be somehow went bad. Maybe I've learned something. Maybe next time I'll be watchful. But whatever you do, the critical thing to remember is that any project succeeds because of a number of factors. A few are under your control, but not everything is in your control. And if something goes wrong, which is outside of your control, and you lose, it can lose pretty badly. And I've had that experience too. A project that I was brought on kind of late, but there was only so much I could do. And I could see that it wasn't going to go well. And it didn't go well. And we lost the uh, contract. But early on, probably, you know, one of the things that I should have insisted on is that they said, these, 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 we want this. We want you to present, you know, data flow diagrams and this and that, that. But it was not a project where that was appropriate, actually. Because they were trying to, on one hand, take their, you know, whatever system they had. Uh, it was a capitation system for a health uh, insurance company. And just move to a different platform. Essentially, that's what they've been wanting to do. But that's not a place where you do a, do a very intense requirements analysis and provide some rigorous DFDs and so on and so forth. But this was something that uh, and I kind of went along with it. Maybe if I said, look, you know, no way we can do this. This is not project where we can do this. Maybe we would have been told, look, you know, then, okay, there's no contract then at that point. Although they had, you know, they had been engaging with us for a while that I was just not on that, but it might have been better in the long run. So, but when things go wrong, we have to recognize what went wrong also and the initial punch in the gut or whatever it is that you feel then you realize okay you know what went wrong it was not something that I could have controlled then I can learn from it if it's outside of my control then I do my best and it still didn't work out you know that's the way if like sometimes things outside your control you cannot insist that they work out somehow and make you succeed but it also tells you when you succeed and succeed sometimes they while you beyond your own expectations that you have the humility to say hey, you know a lot of things came together and helped me succeed here so that it's a balance that I have strived to achieve, you know, so it's both ups and downs. It needs to be you know, kept in mind. It's not just when things go bad that you can apply this. It has to be applied when things go very well too. Yeah, that sounds simple, but I'm sure it took a long time to get that balance. The yeah, relate- I think what helped, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what helped me, one, one thing to add, what helped me also during this time, I was um, studying the Bhagavad Gita. And mm. if you look at what the essence of Karma Yoga is, it's this is what it's saying, really. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that, you know, whatever we do, I've done, done a lot more studies since I've looked at the you know, Upanishads, etc., etc. I'm studying still, listening to, you know, lectures and all that. But I always come back to this. This is where I am, really. And this is where I have something actionable. We read all this and then say, well, this is all esoteric or this is beyond. But this is definitely actionable. You, It puts it in a certain way. Okay, you know, you dedicate everything to uh, God and accept everything as facade. But what are we doing here, Lee? If you say you, did, you take the approach that I have this goal and these are the things I need to do. But what comes out, I'll accept in spite of my best efforts, if it doesn't come to my, you know, to the expectations that I've had, I would still accept it, provided I have the satisfaction that I did, that I think I did my best. It was not to be this time, but I'll continue. So that's very important thing to cultivate, I think. Mm. So this triggers one question. I thought I had asked you all the questions, but this one I can't uh, not ask you. With this kind of an approach, you also mentioned that you've been in situations where there are programmers who are younger than the programs. And those who <laughs> want to work on the latest, greatest or the technologies. How yeah. have you been able to get them appreciate these kinds of values or be able to focus on you know, the value at hand or what the business needs? Yeah. I'm sure there could be a conflict that they would have to resolve internally. Right, right. So, I mean, uh, sometimes the uh, opportunities for 
professional advancement are limited. In this situation, I'm not sure. This is not something that I've, uh, I've observed, but it's not always something that I can offer something to counter that. But what I have provided, I think, is that a certain kind of leadership, and I don't think software development manager is the same as a project manager. You might do project management also, but software development management has at least demanded things that a project manager may or may not need to bring to the table. So you are working with people who are knowledge workers, as I said. They're not, you know, to be just commanded and go forth and do things. So they have to see some satisfaction in what they do. And this is why I think even if you write a COBOL program or something else, there are things that people take pride in their work. So one of the things that I've found very important is that being able to contribute in a meaningful way. If something, somebody walks into my office with an issue, uh, there's a crisis where, you know, I'm first in the trenches and looking, sitting down with them and exploring options and suggesting things and actually doing things too. And that brings about a certain, let's say it does earn their respect. But more than that, it's not that, it's just the commitment that you show permeates their attitude also. There have been situations where we have, for the mainframe, we used to have overnight callbacks. A lot of the batch programs would run between midnight and 6 a.m. And if something goes down, a person on call would be called on the phone. And you'd have to go and look at the system and then figure out what needs to be done. And we had a team of six programmers on rotation and I was on the escalation list. Slowly people retired and all that. Suddenly we had only three programmers before. You know, then they complain, look, you know, the rotation is coming much faster and they're not really getting comments. I said, look, no, I'll add myself to the rotation. So every four weeks I was on call. Oh, so okay. these kind of things. Yeah. So, you know, I would receive call in the middle of the night and I would have to work on it. So they saw that and if they had a problem again. They could approach me even in the middle of the night if they had an issue. Look, I'm going to do this and I have some doubts. Can you look at this and say, you know, that it's okay? So they had the ability to do that. And I was made available for them at that level. But in the office, and they walk in. I want to make sure that they leave feeling that there has been some value addition. That's why they come to me because I add value and I'm able to contribute at that level. And I know the ins and outs of the program, of the logic in the business as much or better than any of which is. Not because I said just that my approach, I was able to get to things also because I had, I really had to. Because there are certain things that, you know, just nobody else has looked at it, then you have to look at it and figure it out. And then it comes, becomes your, you know, expertise. And you are, then you can train them. Fine. So that kind of thing with, I think, with professional knowledge workers, it may not just be software. That's how you can probably, you know, that's why I said, sir, you are a leader, not necessarily just a manager. So that helped in giving them a sense of, you know, what we are doing here in terms of getting the users. The users appreciated our work. And over the years, they have you know, shown that out, talked about it, and said, so those are the kinds of things that we could do. But every time there is a new thing, yeah, okay, we can involve somebody and give them the responsibility and have some training possible. Now that people saw we could do some training because there's a new opportunity, but a lot of people had retired by then, unfortunately. Probably the mainframe crew, I'm the only one left. The other program has been in some kind of a workman's uh, comp kind of a, So he's been off for a while. But now that we have retired. But it's, it's this kind of thing that's always important. Now that I, you know, I'm in a new system, I make it my business also to, to learn enough to be able to contribute. Otherwise, you know, if we can just be, I've seen project managers come and go and they only know Microsoft project and they can produce reports and then say who starts, which is behind which is that, which is a function that needs to be done. I'm not denying that. And I had to do that too when I was delivering projects uh, on a fixed price bid. But even there, it was important, especially when we were sending the work to be done in India, to be able to 
define, I think I mentioned this in my blog, but a really thorough you know, handbook, so to speak, saying how things are done in this place, what are the standards, what are we aiming to do, what kind of utilities are we setting up, and then it makes it very easy for the offshore team to execute the rest of it. I've seen a complete contrast of that with the implementer that we had for PeopleSoft. They sent a lot of work to India, and I'm seeing an absolute ridiculously bad stuff that has come back. Absolutely no real coordination between the team here and the team back in Bangalore. So it's not always possible. Some people left. Some people even thought, you know, this place isn't good enough for me. One person said, there's no standards. You're not following these things. I want specs to be like this. You don't always write specs to that level of detail. Sorry, I told him. And he left. I said, okay, goodbye. So I can't say that I was always successful in making sure that they were happy. But that's what I, you know, this is what you could do in a limited situation to retain people. And, you know, in a way, and it is satisfying when people tell me that, you know, it was a great experience working for me. And some of the retired, uh, someone retired, those three or four always you know, say, you know, like you were one of the best or best managers that we've had. And it's because I was willing to understand. I understood their position and I was willing to put myself out there. Uh, that's the right approach. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's too much, but I don't know. So that's what I've done. Mm. Wonderful, Nilo. That's about all the time that we have for this episode. And uh, with your stories... I'm sure now we will have opportunities to talk more. And of course, your uh, guest blogs, please do continue them. We hope to stay in touch more regularly. Sure. Yeah, this was great. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And thank you for inviting me. I hope people find something useful in this. Like I said, I want, there are some of these things that stick out. And you know, I, I definitely have a couple of other good examples which we can talk about later. I was, in fact, I've been writing something last couple of months or so to put together some of the things that I have observed with requirements gathering and hopefully I'll complete it sometime and I've just been a little busy at work for a while so if I do I'll definitely send it your way and see if you think that makes sense for your audience but it's been wonderful talking to you so always as always and of course we'll stay in touch and yeah. hope to talk to you again sure thanks Neil. bye okay all right bye If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. That is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. Please rate the show on Podchaser, Stitcher, iTunes or any other podcast client that you find us on. Please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com <laughs>